The dawn of civilization. Primitive. Dangerous. Exciting. The handwriting is on the wall. If the human race is ever going to amount to anything, it needs... The most civilized caveman I have ever seen. Ah. He's come out of his cave. You know, the, the stuffy nose thing going on, and I'm like, I better not have COVID. Like, <laughs> oh, it's going to kill me. I friggin', uh, because I was like a little bit away from getting, uh, I don't know, the vaccination. So now my boss was like, I told him, I'm like, look, dude, I got this, this, and this. He's like, yeah, you got to uh, go get a COVID test, bud. Don't, don't, no work for you. So I was just spent all day like sleeping. I was like, oh. Oh, I hope you feel better. That sucked. Yeah, I mean, there's only so much you can do. It's just yeah, like, just sleep a lot and drink a lot of like like water and take vitamins, and that's about it. Yeah, that's all I've been doing. I used uh, I drank a whole bunch of tea, ate vitamins, and then I have uh, uh, been using the Zycam nose swabs. So it's like uh. I don't know, a little something you rub in your nose and it feels good. Okay. Um, yeah, I had to switch to the first input on my interface. And I... Oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, welcome. Hi. We did have one guest who took a, a smoke break every uh, 40 minutes, so we had to keep cutting it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I don't know if you've ever listened but... to the Halloweenies podcast, but I edit that and sometimes they'll just go off on tangents and other times they'll say like, and um, about 20 oh, yeah. times in one sentence. And <laughs> when I'm recording something, cause I used to edit a nine inch nails podcast and I was on one episode wow. and I was very conscious about not doing that. I would take a pause if I needed to, because mm -hmm. that's a lot easier to edit out than someone going, um, yeah, you know, and then, right. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm uh, familiar with this process. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us again today for another episode of Cave Waller Podcast. Uh, we have May Schultz, also known as Everson Poe, here today with us to talk about some of their uh, extensive catalog of music that they put out in the last few years. Uh, welcome to the show, it's good to have you. Thank you, thank you for having me. Yeah, welcome aboard. Um, we've been listening to your music for a little while now. Uh, and as you know, uh, I'm a big fan. I've written a couple of reviews for your uh, releases over the past probably six months. Yeah, um, yeah I really appreciate it. <laughs> it's no problem at all. Uh, like I said, huge fan. Uh, your uh, album um, Rituals is actually in my top ten albums of last year. So that, it's, that uh, makes me feel so good. <laughs> <laughs> glad to hear that. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for those listening out there, there is uh, an album that's about to drop. What was the release date of the new album? Uh, it comes out Friday, April 2nd. So as of this recording, in two days. Great. So uh, it'll probably be out before this is. So make sure you check that one out. Uh, you can find it on uh, the Bandcamp for the page, or you can find it through Trepanation Recordings. Uh, it's titled Grief. Um, so before we get into the albums too much, did you want to just sort of tell the audience uh, what you do and, and what your music's about. Sure. Um, I've been releasing music as Everson Poe for almost 12 years. My first album came out in September 2009. I actually have lost track of how many albums I've put out. 
Yeah, There's a lot. Uh, <laughs> it, and part of it is that I've also done a lot of theater scores, and I have some EPs and singles, and I did a covers EP, and I have another covers EP that's going to be coming out later this year. I have released a tremendous amount of music, and I'm really proud of, I'd say, 85% of it. <laughs> I, I was listening to one of my theater scores the other day, and I was like, wow, this is really good. I forgot about this one. Uh, but my my main music is generally dealing with issues of mental health and queerness and gender dysphoria. Uh, I'm a non-binary trans woman, and I've been out as some form of queer since I was 13 years old, so over 20 years at this point. And I've gone through my fair bit of shit in my life. I've dealt with a lot and music is really my catharsis for that it's it's so yeah. healing and it's so helpful for me to be able to channel all that negativity into something that in the end feels very positive and, and feels like i'm expressing myself in a way that i otherwise wouldn't be able to and a lot of the time i will filter my experiences through pop culture influences so i have an entire album which is instrumental but still there's a lot of emotion in it and i had a couple friends do some just vocalizations based on the Mapmakers trilogy of books by se grove because those books had a profound effect on me and that also marked a huge shift in my musical style that was the first time i incorporated elements of funeral doom and black metal and that was a very intentional choice and that's still probably one of my favorite albums i've done i wish i had mixed it a little bit differently but i'm really proud of that. that that one's called the great disruption and since then i've mostly been doing stuff in kind of a doom sludge black metal direction i've been called death doom which i don't really know what that means because i've never really listened to death metal i i think the closest band to death metal i like is imperial triumphant and i think uh, well, that's a great Awesome. Um, I think a lot of that, um, when you get paired up with that, it's uh, usually due to the vocals, and then the music is more okay, doomy. That makes sense. I, you know? I definitely so, like, do like those. The, the I definitely are... do those super low, growly things. I was hugely inspired by Aaron Turner on that, which uh, the Sleeping Shaman posted a review of Grief the other day, and someone finally picked up on that influence, and it made me really happy. Uh, nice. But. I've also released a lot of stuff that's not in that style, you know, besides my theater scores. The first album I put out last year, which was almost exactly a year ago at the end of March, was like a post-punk album. And one of the things I released last year was like over an hour of kind of ambient electronic stuff that was meant for just background. So Everson Poe is kind of a catch-all for most of the things I do that aren't specifically collaborative bands. And I'll still bring people in occasionally, uh, like Abe from Revered and Reviled Above All Others. He did some vocals on the split that DB, also of the same band and various other amazing projects, uh, DB and I put out that split together and Abe did some clean vocals for me that I absolutely love. Sorry, which, um, which split was oh, that one? Uh, Ancestral Memory. So the Oh, the, okay, of course. Yeah, the first yeah, four yeah. songs. Yeah, that's actually uh, the first album I listened oh, to cool. of yours. 
and then I started working backwards. Um, and I liked that a lot. I was like, wow, this is, this is like real trippy, you know, it was, uh, definitely a, a journey, a really cool, cool, awesome journey. I was like cooking dinner and I was like, wow, <laughs> this music is like, it's bringing me to places. Thank it's you. awesome. Uh, one of my favorite things about that is that I actually recorded that after grief, uh, the three songs I did on there. Huh. And DB had sent me one or two of the songs that he was working on and asked if I wanted to do a split because he had already mixed grief at that point. And I was like, yes, I want to do a split. And I was really heavily inspired by the songs that he sent me. So I kind of tried to take my usual style and infuse it with some of the influence I was getting from him. And I think it worked really well. And then once I started sending him stuff, it kind of, as he said, kicked his ass into gear to finish his songs. <laughs> because at that point he only had like two and a half, maybe three done. And so we kind of inspired each other back and forth. And I think that's why it works so well as a split album is that the songs sound like they belong together, even though there is a clear delineation between who's making them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, thank you for letting us uh, premiere that one. We actually really appreciated that opportunity. Yeah, um, of course. I, you know, I, like I said, I've been releasing music for almost 12 years and it's only been in the last year that more people than like my friends and family have actually started paying attention to it, which feels really great. You know, it, there's, there are a few better feelings for me than people connecting with my music. Cause really I make it for myself. I make it for that catharsis that I get from it, but it also feels so good to know that like my music is touching people and they're getting something positive out of it. Yeah. And um, I might be grasping at straws here, but I, I definitely picked up a, def a connection in theme and concept between ancestral memory and grief. Oh, 100%. Um, like I said, I had finished grief before I did ancestral memory. And so mm -hmm. I was kind of branching off of, you know, part of grief is about uh, this guy persecuting what he sees as evil. And some of that is like witchcraft and Satanism and stuff. That's why I have, you know, an Aleister Crowley sample on there. And I was like, what if I explore the early parts of that? What if I, I go back in time and look at the things that led to the rise of Christianity and the reason that it persecutes those who are outside of it? And I just want to throw a disclaimer out there. I have no problem with people who practice Christianity in a responsible and healthy way. I have a huge problem with it when people use it to persecute other people, especially as a member of the queer community. That's an extremely important issue to me. And so if people are religious in a way that works for them and doesn't affect people around them negatively, more power to them. I think that's wonderful. These stories that I'm telling are about the people who don't do that. The, the people who use religion as a mask for hatred and use that <laughs> hatred yep. to lash out at people who aren't actually doing anything wrong or harmful. Just being yeah. himself. Just yeah, exactly. Just different. I uh, I fully share that sentiment as well. Um, I mean, I've had a very 
unpleasant uh, relationship with religion throughout my life, which I won't get into, but uh, I, I'm an atheist myself, and but I definitely agree that everyone has the right to believe whatever they want to believe. But again, it's that's your belief. I think you can't force it onto somebody yeah, else. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think that extends beyond religion to anything in life, oh, really. 100%. Um, uh, politics, um, you know, theology, all, all that yeah. stuff. I, I, uh, I think I was 10 when I declared myself yeah. an atheist. Yeah. I, I stood up at recess one day in fifth grade and I went, God's not real. And I never went back from there. <laughs> that said, I was raised casually oh. Jewish, so it wasn't that big of a change for me, but. Okay. I, uh, see, so I moved to the U S, um, last year, but I lived here once before that for about a year. Um, in the past, and I'm from New Zealand, which is a majority so secular country, um, mostly more atheists than Christians. Else. I mean, people still identify as Christian on the census because, you know, their parents raised some Christian to go to church once a year type thing, but um, most people aren't religious. Um, so coming from New Zealand and Australia, those two countries, to the U.S. is sort of a shock to me with uh, how religious people actually yeah, are here. I can't even Because uh, I always... I'd always heard about yeah. it and I kind of like had an idea of what it was going to be like, but I've never in my entire life been asked by another stranger uh, what <laughs> what religion I was uh, in person until I got here. And, and then like, I met people on a regular basis like, oh, so are you Christian? I'm like, why would you <laughs> ask me that? Like, <laughs> having first met me, like, I've never asked a person that. Um, yeah, like, a little personal. Exactly, it is. Um, and then when, when I said I was an atheist, like, so you just believe in nothing? I'm like, well, I believe in stuff, <laughs> just not from a religious context. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I feel the same way, you know. It's just like, I don't know. My wife is Jewish, so my kids, they're going to be, you know, they're raised Jewish. We do the, the light holidays and stuff like that and, like, the main stuff, but we don't really do much else. And, uh, yeah, I just always have been like, why are we all doing this? This looks like, this is so weird. Like, you guys are all sheep. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, yeah, but and when you when you do it, like you said, um, you know, respectfully and to, for yourself and for family and tradition, that's all fine and you do you. But then, like, once you're like, you know, exactly using that, that mask for hate, it's... Uh, it's 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 all I bullshit. Absolutely agree. Um, so just yeah. so that this doesn't become a, a religious bashing episode of the show, <laughs> um, I'm gonna <laughs> uh, I'm gonna ask uh, rituals again. That sort of is in the same theme um, of belief systems. Is that sort of in the, is it sort of a concept stream that you're in at the moment of, of those concepts you're focusing on? Yeah, I I would say so. Um... It's really funny because I worked on rituals sort of at the same time as monstrous existence. I mean, it, there was definitely some overlap in time on that to the point where sometimes I have to, like, I'm opening up my phone and looking at the track list to remind myself which songs are on which. So, yeah, I mean, I would say rituals is less about religion and more about just kind of... <sighs> the various, whether secular or not, rituals that people go through for some kind of 
transformation. So the first song was based on the Shades of Magic book trilogy, and I actually wrote that when I had only finished the first book. I read the second book uh, a couple months ago, and I, full disclosure, I was inpatient for a week and a half recently, and while I was in there, in four days, I read three books totaling 1,300 pages. I have never read that much that quickly in my life. And the third book in that series was one of the things I read. And it's really funny because there are a few things in the lyrics for Antari that I predicted would happen in the third book. And I, I literally had no idea. So that turned out kind of cool. And then, yeah. yeah uh, and then Ariadne is about the Netflix show Dark. There's a lot of references to the myth of Ariadne in that. At one point, they put on a play about it. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't speak French. I just really like putting titles in French sometimes. That, I, I think I mentioned it at some point that it, it was based on a dream I had where I literally lost one sense at a time until I, I knew I was alive, but I could not feel, see, hear, taste, touch, smell, anything. And it was absolutely terrifying and it, it was just kind of the idea that like if you can't perceive anything are you still alive and then fallow hallowed is the one that's closest to talking about religion and that was sort of about pagan rituals which is why i set the music video that i edited together not great but i still liked it using pieces of Haxon, the sort of documentary from the 20s about witchcraft and all of that stuff. And I, I just, I felt like all of the songs were about transformative rituals and, and I kind of liked that idea. Most of my albums have been tied together by themes like that and Grief is the only <clears throat> one I've done that's like a straight up narrative from beginning to end that runs through all of the songs. Right. Nice. And then um, I saw that the most recent thing, oh, actually, it's showing up in Roosters on Bandcamp. It came out earlier. You did the, the single uh, Laban's yeah, uh, So that is a, I was looking up, you know how there are phrases or words in other languages that are technically untranslatable to English? I was looking up a list yes. of those, and I had already been working on the lyrics for the song, and I found the word Lebenschmied which in German is an expression that essentially means life tired. And a couple months ago, I was having a really rough time, thus me ending up an inpatient. I'm a chronic oversharer in case mm -hmm. you haven't noticed that. I have no problem talking about things like my own mental health, whether it's in my, yeah, whether it's in my lyrics or not, I want to help normalize that so more people feel comfortable talking about it. Anyway, uh, right. that title seemed very apt to me, both in terms of how I was feeling and how the lyrics came out of me. And uh, most of the stuff for that song, actually all the stuff for that song, other than the lyrics, I did sitting at my dining room table one day with like a little Korg nano key, which is basically like a normal computer keyboard, but laid out like some piano keys. So it has the same like feeling as just typing on a, on a keyboard, which is very odd to huh. use that. But 
I, I did it all on that. And then I came to my music room and I did the vocals for it and it turned out great, but I didn't love my singing and DB had already been planning on mixing and co-producing it with me. And I was like, do you want to replace my vocals in the verses? And I, I gave him like absolutely no direction. I was like, you don't have to follow the rhythm. You don't have to follow the melody, except in this one little spot, do whatever you feel like doing with it. And he gave me back these vocals that to me sound like John Balance's vocal performance in Coyle's song, A Cold Cell. And I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. I love collaborating with DB so much, whether he's just mixing, mixing and co-producing or actually like contributing to my songs. It is one of the most magical musical partnerships I've ever had. And that came about just from like making friends with people on what I call lefty metal Twitter last year. And he, he reached out to me and was like, Hey, I really like your music. Do you ever want me to mix anything for you? And that was a huge leap for me because I've never, never let anyone touch Everson Post stuff other than two albums that I let Wade Allen, uh, formerly of Chicago Industrial Mainstays, Christ Analog, he mastered them for me. But other than that, mm -hmm. no one else has ever touched Everson Poe stuff. Not mixing, not producing, nothing. So it was very different for me, but I'm so glad I kind of let go and let him start working on stuff with me. Everything that he's done for me so far has been incredible. And he's taken it to places that I wouldn't have expected, but I love. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how you make those partnerships just through the internet. Like, um, uh, you, you might not know what our story is, but I actually only met Brendan last year through the internet. Um, my friend Matt and I, who've been friends for a decade or so, started this site last year. And we just met Brendan through a, a group, some music group, and he started posting in our group, like, man, this guy has great taste in music. And then he came on as an That's awesome. So, and uh, he's been, yeah, he's been running the site since, and we've been best buds since then too. So it, it was a great yeah, uh, coincidence. I, I mean, I think yeah. as much as all of the isolation from COVID has really, really sucked. I mean, I'm super touch starved. I'm someone who like really likes having physical contact with people or even just being in the same room as them. It's been really hard for me, but I, I think that has pushed me into reaching out more to people on the internet and, and having more than just like really casual acquaintances. Like DB and I talk every day. I have a few other friends who have never met in real life, who I talk to literally every day. We check in on each other. We make sure the other person's doing okay. We talk about involved stuff because like those are the people that you can forge that connection with right now so it, I, i'm kind of trying right. to like do my best to look on the bright side of covid and that's one of the only things i've found about it right yeah i uh... oh, i mean it makes like all of like oh maybe you not have like maybe necessarily more friendships but the quality friendships that you have have definitely gotten better yeah, you know sure. at, at least for me you know i uh I, i'm lucky I've, I've never really made friends on the internet before because i'm very much like an in-person person 
Um, yeah. And uh, I've made a lot of really close friends uh, through the internet in the past 12 months that is something very new for me, but they're very genuine friendships. So we, like you said, we, we talk every day as well. So it's really great that, I mean, if, we, if this had happened at any other time in history when you didn't have that, that uh, method of connection, it would have been a really different experience of being locked in your house yeah. for this long. Kind of weird. Like, why is this dude on the internet keep talking to me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think we're very lucky that this coincided with an era where we have uh, limitless online connection and streaming services because uh, filling the time of being at home for that long would have been quite uh, struggle, oh, uh, quite a struggle, I guess. If it wasn't for streaming services, yeah. I probably would have watched every single physical home video thing that I have twice over. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's definitely kept a lot of people sane over the last uh, yeah, 12 months or so. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, if Blockbuster was still around, they would have been making a killing. Blockbuster so much. There, yeah. there used to be one right near my parents' house, and there was a Boston market next to it, which at the time was just called Boston Chicken. So I would always go into Blockbuster while we were waiting for our food, and I would start, when you walked into the store, for some reason, you started at the end of the new release wall. So I would look through the entire new release wall from Z to A. And then I would usually just end up <laughs> yeah. renting the two VHS special edition of Terminator 2, which I think I rented a total of 30 times over the course of a couple years because... I fucking love that movie. It's absolutely perfect. And that extended version <laughs> is amazing. I haven't watched that in a long time. I have to revisit that actually now that you mentioned. I just watched the uh the newest uh Terminator movie not too long ago. Yeah, me too. Staying up late and I liked it. It was, was good. I was not expecting much from it. Um just because it's one of those things where Hollywood just turns out a remake of something that's already been done. Um, but yeah, I, I genuinely yeah. thought it was decent. Um, it's not okay. as good as like the original couple of them, but I definitely think it's probably worth a watch if you like yeah, the originals. I, mean, I actually, I haven't yeah. seen any of them except the first two, which is kind of funny. Okay. I know. Oh, you gotta do I, it. I, you gotta do it. I think I you did say, it. What was, oh, no, no, no. What was the one where it was, set? oh, sorry. I was just asking, Brendan, you've seen them. What was the one that was set before the first uh, couple of movies? Like the one that was like in the actual oh, future explaining Salvation? the whole backstory? Yeah, I, I never, I never yeah, saw that Salvation. either. Yeah, yeah. 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 They used a version of The Day the World Went Away by Nine Inch Nails in the trailer, but they added percussion to it. And it was so bizarre to me because to me, one huh. of the most amazing things about that song is that there's no percussion whatsoever. It's just that wall of guitars and trance vocals. And I always felt like that was really powerful in itself. So the first time I saw that trailer and there were drums, I remember just like, you know, raising one eyebrow and going, what the fuck? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a huge Nine Inch Nails fan. I, I have a Nine Inch Nails tattoo, not not of the logo or anything. It's a lyric and some imagery to go with it. But yeah, I'm 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 very precious oh, about awesome. things like that. We um we had uh, Raymond Watts oh, from Big on a few weeks ago, and um yeah, yeah, he's one of the most down to earth like chill dudes I've ever spoken to. But 
Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was asked a bit about um, his time touring with Trent Reznor uh, with Nine Inch Nails, and he was on his label and stuff. So, nice. yeah, according to him, he's a great dude as well. So, okay, this is a question I've been meaning to ask you for a little while now. Uh, the name Everson Pope, uh, is that a reference to, okay, I had a guess what the reference was to. Was it to a combination of poets as in William Everson and Edgar Allan Poe, or am I completely off the mark? completely off the mark, actually. So... Um, okay, that's all again, I might be. A book series that I love is the Phineas Poe trilogy by Will Christopher Bayer. I discovered the first book, I think it was my sophomore year in high school. I used to go to Barnes & Noble a lot. There's one in the mall that's right by my parents' house. I actually ended up working there in high school. And I, I worked in the music department, of course. But I would go in there all the time and just look for books with intriguing covers. And the cover of the first book, Kiss Me Judas, was a picture of one of the hotel rooms at the Standard Hotel, which there used to be one in West Hollywood. And I think that closed. I think there's still one in downtown LA, but it's, you know, kind of like a swanky hotel at the time. It was sort of like futuristic. And I had stayed there for spring break my freshman year of high school with my parents. I don't even remember why we decided to go to L.A., but we went. It was great. And I saw the cover of the book, and I'm like, wait, that looks like a room at the Standard. And I picked it up, and I read the back of it, and I was like, wow, I want to read this. And then all three books in the trilogy are really amazing to me. And I think I've read all of them at least five times, which is you know, I, I don't often reread books because I tend to remember things very well, but I loved the experience of reading them so much. Anyway, sorry, I'm rambling a bit. I tend I tend to do that in case you haven't <laughs> But So the main character's name is Phineas Poe, and at one uh. point he mentions a sibling named Everson, and the the name comes up again at like the very end of the third book and i just i loved that name i loved that it kind of seemed gender neutral and i like i was like no one else is ever ever going to try to use this and before i switched to everson poe i had been using the name ember for my music and I looked it up online one time and I saw like, oh, there's like so many different people and bands named Ember. And then I looked up Everson Poe and it was like, I found one article that was a review of one of the Phineas Poe books. And I'm like, cool, I'm going to use that. So I think it was in 2006 <laughs> that I actually started using that name and just, you know, labeling my stuff in my iTunes library. And then once I put out my first album, I stuck with it. And I'm really glad that I did because there is still, if you search Everson Poe on Google, you only find me and stuff about me, my music, the numerous posts that I've made on Echoing the Sound, yep. the Nine Inch Nails message board I spend way too much time on. But yeah, I, so that's where the name <laughs> came from. And... Uh, I I just I still love those books. I, it's been a while since I've read them, but I, I think I'm due for a reread. 
So I was semi-close with the poetry thing, yeah. but it was literature, not poetry, the direction. <laughs> that split that you did for Plague Upon Four Houses, I was a huge fan of that. And you actually introduced me through that to Karnstein, Rage of yeah. Devils, and Wyeth. So thank you for that. Um, how did that come so, about? How did you make? How did you meet those artists? I think the first person that I friended on Twitter, who is part of the lefty metal Twitter scene, was Tommy uh, Order of the Wolf, and he was just he was so sweet, and that was kind of the beginning of my music getting noticed because I ended up on the Hope versus Hate compilation, and that was that was huge for me. And through Tommy, I started making friends with various people on Twitter, Sarah Allen Reed, uh, Rhea from Karnstein, and uh, Aaron from Rage of Devils, among various other people. And I think at one point, Rhea sent me a message and was like, hey, we have a few songs that we want to put on a split. Do you want to do a split with us? And I was like, yes, yes, I do, because I loved their demo. And I, I love Rhea. She's amazing. And she was like, I'm, I might ask a couple other people. So she also asked Aaron and Sarah Allen Reed. And we determined that I was going to mix everything. And then Sarah was going to master it. And it was really fun putting that together. I didn't end up mixing the Wyeth stuff because Sarah was kind of like down to the wire on it. And she just did it mm -hmm. herself. But I, I got to mix the Rage of Devils and Karnstein stuff, and that was awesome for me because it had been a long time since I'd really worked on someone else's music, and it was fun to just kind of like sit in the producer's chair <laughs> and shape the songs that already existed, and you know, and then and then we decided on the order of the album, and I, th I think it turned out really great. the The two songs that I did on there my lyrics for one of them for uh Macho Misraim, which is the 10 plagues of Egypt. I feel like at the time I was really, really proud of them. And I still think they're good lyrics, but they're kind of split. Like I start out talking about modern racism and like make a lot of references to the structure of the KKK and just how, evil that shit is but before that i'm talking about gender dysphoria and then i talk about the 10 plagues of egypt and and so it's like there's three lyrical themes going on in there and they sort of work together they sort of don't but the music for that song's great and then the other song is just straight up based on the video game hollow knight and i even use some dialogue from the game as lyrics and for that one aaron and ria actually did some screaming with me at the end of the song. So it turned into like gang vocals, which I'm a huge fan of. And Sarah did like two lines of clean vocals on the other song. So it, <laughs> it was fun. And then like all of us did some vocals on a Karnstein song and I think two Rage of Devil songs on it. So it was like, it was a very collaborative process and for the most part, I really enjoyed it, and I'm glad that got out there and that we used the money for charity. Uh, what was the charity it gave to again? I remember I that actually. That it was for charity. Because Sarah set it up with the uh, the Forest at Night band camp, which you know was the launch of the label associated with the radio right. show. I want to say it was to a bail fund. Mm -hmm. I cannot remember just because 
I donated a bunch of money to various charities last year through several of my releases and like I donated a little bit this year already and my brain is just kind of swimming with stuff because there's been so much of it and you know it's funny I haven't had a job for like a year and I was still like I'm gonna donate money to charity people still need this more than me <laughs> and I you know I'm glad I've been able to do that I've actually been in the same boat as you, not working for a year. I because uh, I, I immigrated uh, in oh. April, and uh, with COVID, which was the worst time, <laughs> I chose during an international pandemic to uh, immigrate, which was a bad choice. Um, so I, yeah, I, I got my work visa last week after a year of waiting. So it was, it was, a, big, it was a thank you, big celebration. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm just going to go through the process of work now, but I fully understand what you mean. Um, I, it's it's one of those things where it's a blessing and a curse because, um, like you, I, I've stepped up my creative side of things because I have had time to do so and I never had in the past, and that's how the site was born. But and, and again, you made those connections with people you wouldn't normally have met, so you can't write off the whole year, even though it's been a very weird time. Uh, um, it's been productive in different ways, I guess. Um, I just uh, thought of something that I was going to bring up earlier when you were talking about Doom Death. Um, you said that you, you're not really too familiar with uh, with the subgenre. I don't remember the first time I heard it. I want to say it was in. Excuse me. I want to say it was in one of the reviews I got for something last year. Someone described my music as death doom, mm -hmm. and I was like, I don't know what that means. And so that was interesting to me because I until you explained it earlier, Brennan, I, I assumed it was like just a hybrid of doom metal and death metal. And I was like, I don't really know what death metal sounds like because it's just not a, a subgenre of metal that I ever really got into. But my friend Alex, when I had shown him Imperial Triumphant the first time, he was like, I didn't know you listened to death metal. I'm like, this is death metal. And he's like, partially. I was like, oh, cool. So Doom Death is kind of like that, and it's it's a partial fusion. Um, for me, your your latest few albums have really reminded me of like '90s era Doom Death, which was kind of the, the golden age of the genre. It, it's like a it's a portion of music that I'm I really love myself. So that's what drew me to your music so much is that you reminded me of those classic bands that put out these legendary albums in the early '90s that very few people have come close to um, producing the same sort of quality of that sound. Um, Oh, definitely. That, that, seriously, um, that, that ritual was the first time I heard it. I was like, oh, my God, this sounds like Dance of December Souls, which is, in my opinion, one of the best metal albums ever created. Um, and very few people have embraced that sound in recent years, which is a massive shame. Um, so I mean, if you're ever looking to check out some of the stuff that people are talking about when they use that reference, definitely listen to like, the first Catatonia album, Dance of December Souls. Um, there's an album called Kiddish from an Israeli death, uh, doom death band called Salem from like 94. Um, there's Anathema's first two albums, which are definitely doom death. And there's stuff like My Dying Bride, their early stuff, Turn Loose the Swans. Um, all of those are yeah, just no, like I, I perfect in my opinion. I remember that I checked out Dance of December Souls because I, I feel like one of the reviews that you wrote for me, you compared some of my stuff to that. And I was like, oh, I should check that out. And Abe and DB are also big fans of Catatonia. So I checked it out and I was like, oh, oh, I like this. I can see right. where the comparison is coming from. 
Yeah, it's just it's a level of emotion in the instrumentals uh, and in the vocals, and then just the rawness of the vocals as well. That you know, this yeah, sort of yeah, like yeah. Um, pained sound to yeah, them, uh, sure. as opposed I mean, to just my, trying to be brutal. My screaming has always um, come from. To me, it feels like a place of desperation, and my scream has definitely changed a bit over the years. And part of that is a conscious effort. It wasn't until a few years ago that I started being able to do my Aaron Turner esque scream, and I'm really really proud of that fact because he's one of my favorite musicians and vocalists. And I was like, I, I don't want to copy him, but I want to emulate him in a way where I am presenting the same kind of emotional intensity that he is able to do with his voice. And I think that turned out really well. That said, doing those lower screams is a lot harder for me. It's a lot harder on my vocal cords than doing higher screams. So the, the, Spoiler alert, I'm already working on another new album, and I've been doing some more like higher-pitched <laughs> shrieking-style vocals. Not not quite the same as the uh, Chip awesome. King from The Body-esque stuff that I've done occasionally, but I, I guess more of like a black metal screech. And I found that that really doesn't hurt my voice very much. And I'm like, oh, cool. I can do this and I can do it sustainably. That's great. That's awesome. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh, black metal as well. Do you listen at all to like music that's classified as depressive I mean, I, suicide or black metal? Have you heard that, that term? I've gotten filed under in reviews and I'm like, oh, wow. Uh, sorry like I, I i always feel like oh i don't want to make people feel more <laughs> depressed when they listen to my music but i i guess i can see why i would get filed under that um the i feel like the first couple bands that i ever heard that had elements of that i i mean like the great disruption which again is like my first album that I did in this sort of realm. That was really heavily inspired by bands like Lycus. And I don't even remember how I found Lycus. It was like, I think I bought something on Amazon and it was like, you may also like, and I saw the album cover for Chasms. I was like, oh, that looks beautiful. And I checked it out and I listened to that album obsessively for a few months, just like every time I was in the car. And that had a huge influence on the Great Disruption. And then I sort of started branching out from there. A lot of the like post-metal influence in my music comes from Isis and especially Rosetta. Uh, I, I have a Rosetta tattoo. That's how much I love that band. If you haven't heard them, I would highly recommend you check them out. All right. I actually haven't. Yes, I, I, I'm, I'm a huge ISIS fan, but I haven't heard the um, Rosetta. Album I start with is probably their second album, Wake Lift. It is just, it's a masterpiece from start to finish. I love it so much. But yeah, I mean, I don't know how much DSBM I've listened to. I I tend to like a lot of black metal bands that kind of break the rules. So one of my favorite bands that are considered black metal is wolves in the throne room uh the yeah i mean they're they're fantastic oh, yeah. and they definitely yeah, do a really lot good. of things that break the mold of that genre uh the, my favorite album by them is actually celestine mm -hmm. which is an ambient keyboard album which is kind of funny 
But I also, I really like some of Alcest's stuff. And I'm trying to think of what other, like, straight mm -hmm. up black metal I actually listen to. I personally am not a fan of raw black metal unless it's being made by someone I know. So, like, I love Rage of Devils because I think what Erin is doing is amazing. And also, she's only been writing and recording music for a little over a year. That is nuts to me that she has reached that level of musicianship. But for the most part, if I'm going to listen to music, I want it to sound good. You know, I, I'm an audiophile. I'm someone who's been mm -hmm. writing, recording, and mixing my own stuff for over 20 years. I can't stand listening to stuff that is like so high-pitched and screechy that it hurts. You know, that, what what is it, Ulver's second or third album i tried to listen to that once and i was like i i literally can't do this it was causing me physical pain which is too bad because the songs are good and their their first album is great but i i need some kind of production value so there's definitely a lot of black metal that i've just kind of pushed to the side and been like yeah eh, it's not for me and then you get those people that are the exact opposite. Right. You're like, oh, this thing's overproduced. It sounds too like, clean. Metal should be dangerous. And basically, <laughs> yeah. what they mean is metal should be racist and exclusive to you know white people who hate everyone. And uh, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, one, I, you see those guys on one the internet a lot. <laughs> about being part of that lefty metal Twitter is that we call that shit out. You know, all of us work to like. I, I feel like. I talked about this in my Growls and Shrieks interview with Weirding, and to me, we're trying to make metal dangerous for those people. We're trying to say, you are not welcome here because we are not mm -hmm. going to tolerate your intolerance. It's, I don't remember who it is, but someone coined the term the paradox of intolerance, or maybe it's the paradox of tolerance, that the only thing that should be not tolerated is intolerance itself because otherwise you're just allowing hate to fester and like i said for me mm -hmm. music should be transformative it should be cathartic and it should be healing for people even if there's hate involved in it it should be hate for things that need to change for everyone to live better you know it it shouldn't be like you're right. gay, so I hate you. You know, like that's I I don't understand right. people who think like that in the first place, but I definitely well, don't understand people who like dedicate their music to just hating people. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's like do you really is your life that sad that you have nothing better to do with your time yeah, or no exactly. other passions that you can dedicate your, your energy to? I, I always say it takes people. more energy to be oh. an asshole <laughs> yeah. than it does to it's be like, a nice person. Yeah, exactly. It's, right. like, it's the same it's thing. It's like to, you know, be, be nice. It, it's the same thing with like if you're watching something on TV that you don't like, getting upset about it is, and, and like ranting at the TV takes a lot more energy than it's been. I'm just going to watch something else. Um, yeah, if you don't like it, that's that's not you know that's fine. You're allowed to not like stuff. That's that's fine. But that's that everyone else is entitled to like that thing, and if you don't like it. And that's in relation to taste. That's not in relation to people being themselves. You don't yeah, get to have exactly. an opinion as long as on other people and who they okay. choose to be. Kind of like what we um, talked about earlier in our discussion. As long as what someone is doing is not actually harming anyone else, then who gives a shit? Yes. 
just let people be themselves and exactly. it doesn't affect you. And, and the thing is with um with that whole freedom of expression, freedom of speech thing, they're right. They have the re- the freedom to make this music that is full of hate. But then platforms, social media platforms, streaming platforms also have the right yeah, to say, we don't like this, we're not going to promote it. We're not going to put it on our platform. Yeah, and other people have the right yeah, to disagree with them and call them out as well. So it works both ways. Like adopted a zero Nazis policy. You know, I, I know um, some bands put out an album not that long ago and like, I know one of the guys in the band is like a convicted pedophile or something. And yeah, and I mean, first of all, that oh, you're talking about Inquisition, right? Gross, and you know, I know there's a lot of horrifying album covers in the world of metal, but that was just like that made me feel ill looking at it. It was, it was like it was something like a cosmic grim reaper like taking a shit or something. Why would you want that to be your album cover? But but then, you know, you factor in the person <laughs> who's in that band is just like, no, fuck no, get that out of here. And I love that Bandcamp was like, yeah, we're not we're not having that. Get the fuck out of here. That was the one, uh, I think it was called like Black yeah. Mask or a, a Mask Grave. And it's like the Grim Reaper, yeah, you're Grim, uh, the Grim Reaper shitting in a grave. Uh, I, I, like, I can't even talk about it without <laughs> laughing because it's so stupid. It is pretty down. And, and then I saw like a whole thing on their, their label is, I don't want to get it wrong because I don't want to <laughs> accuse the wrong label. I believe it's Argonia or something along those lines. Um, but I think whichever label it is, I saw a massive argument on uh, their Facebook page where people were like, dude, why are you still putting out their albums after the guy was convicted of like pedophilia? And uh, they're like, well, I mean, like he was convicted <laughs> of it. It doesn't mean he did it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, willful <laughs> ignorance and cognitive dissonance are really incredible. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, even if he's like, you know, policy convicted, do you still really want to associate your brand yeah. with that person? Yeah, and you're right. There's a lot of people out there who aren't really, I guess, politically and socially consciously minded. Um, in relation to music, I just think of music as, oh, I'm just going to put out music. Uh, and they don't really think I, about I, that I, overarching context of, of the bigger picture. That happened, I think it was last year, like late last year, on the Nine Inch Nails Facebook page. And I, I deleted Facebook three years ago, and it was one of the best decisions I ever made. But because I'm on Echoing the Sound so much, you know, I know about everything that goes on on the, uh, as we called it back in the 90s, the internet, mm-hmm. And so I, I stay appraised of these situations and, you know, Trent had posted something that was very left wing because Trent has always kind of been an outspoken left wing person and all of these conservative Nine Inch Nails fans. Oh, maybe it was on Instagram and people were just like flipping out and being like, Oh, I can't believe one of my favorite bands is getting political. And you know, I'm a conservative fan and now I feel like I can't listen to them. And it's like, have you listened to year zero? I mean, have you listened to any of the lyrics in these songs? It's not like Trent's been hiding his political viewpoint all these years. He's been pretty upfront about it. And in interviews, he's talked about things and it's just like, if you didn't know that, you were either, again, being willfully ignorant, or you just weren't paying attention. And it, 
Yeah, and, and it's like, you know, everyone should be able to like the music the they lyrics. want to like, yeah. as long as it's not harmful to people. But, like, getting all pissed off because a musician that you like has an opinion, and that opinion is that everybody opinion. deserves rights and should be treated right, and your opinion is not that, like, maybe just find something else to listen to. I don't know if you if you saw this earlier this year, but there's the, the guy went viral because Tom Morello called him out um, when someone posted like, "This yeah. way is like raging the machine was political." The <laughs> it's like, I, and then, like someone yeah. criticized Tom Morello for like uh, doing something you know white guys do, and Tom Morello was just like, "I'm not white," and it, it's oh my god, yeah, it was like I'm not white. I love when people. Uh, get owned on the internet for things like that where it's just like they are just so eager to get pissed off at someone and like i get it i get easily riled up about things but like mm -hmm. if you're going to attack someone for something do your research yeah yeah, he's, yeah he um his dad's from was it kenya um yeah, I think it was Kenya. Yeah. Um, he, he's half he's half uh, black, <laughs> and uh, and the the funniest thing is once oh, that yeah. person called him out, he ridiculous. responded with that. They didn't back down either; they carried on. Yeah, and he also has like a political science major, like went to school for it. Yeah, you know, and he's an activist. He's always been a political activist. Right, right, right. It'd be like someone saying that. Uh... Well, people said the same thing about System of a Down as well. Like, well, since we're in a System of a Down, a bunch of lefties. I'm like, have you ever listened to one of their songs? Like, yeah, which is why it's, it's really all social commentary. Like, the, their like entire discography. Anti-vax Trump supporter, and I like. I know. I, I started reading that stuff, and I was like, I, don't I know. Understand I know. how they can be in this band with this guy, and how he can play these songs that are very clearly, like, diametrically opposed to his political viewpoint. Yeah, for me, I thought that was weirder for him than them. Like, I mean, they can tolerate him because his beliefs don't come through in the music at all. But it's very weird for him to play that to play that music if he feels so strongly about those. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm sorry, I've steered us those off topics. Of yeah, it made no sense to me. Direction either. now. <laughs> Good. <coughs> it's completely fine. Um, I have to head off in about 25 minutes for another meeting I have uh, for some of my other commitments. But Brendan always has some uh, pretty fun questions to wrap up the last part of the interview. So I'll let him uh, take over with those if that's cool. Well, you've done a lot of collaborating. Um, who Who is somebody so that you would love to collaborate Andy with that you haven't? from Kaina and I are potentially collaborating on a project. Um, Jacob from Shrieking and I are potentially collaborating on a project. Uh, I'm supposed to record drums for one of Audrey Hornet's songs for her project Miri. I'm I'm trying to think of people who I'm like not friends with on Twitter, who I'm not in pretty regular contact with. You know, like do you mean like a, a dream collaboration with anybody? Yeah, yeah. Like what would be like you're like, you know, you're gonna be able to Finally, get like certain uh, sounds and, Josh and like even a concept. Like it doesn't matter. I yeah. absolutely adore him. He's such a sweet human being, and he is 
he's not just an incredible musician, but like the way that he uses sound is unlike anyone I've ever heard. And I just, I feel like working with him would be a dream come true. Even if it wasn't on some of the more electronic leaning stuff that I do, you know, because he's well-versed in other stuff. He toured with Nine Inch Nails for a while. It's not like he only does electronic stuff. I think he would bring a lot into the world of my music that would be very interesting. And then I'd, I'd also love to have right someone on. like... Uh, um, like tr- oh, God. Oh, yeah, no problem. I'm sorry, we're gonna have to hang on one second. Sorry. <laughs> what? I have something to tell you, but that's so. There's a second movie I can about volcanoes. Even, even new gods, the tree field and has some big parts. And you have one big button. I Really? And, That's amazing. And sweat again. <laughs> and I turn into a robot. Wow. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's awesome. And, so it turns and, into a. And, and then all the sea creatures were sitting there, and, and the Argonauts needed to stop the volcanoes, to stop all the volcanoes. I stop our fucking police one more. I was trying to Oh, really? And so we needed to stop that one. And then... And Very passionate. And we turned the big button into robot mode. Really? That's so cool. Well, I'll watch it so with you in a little bit. That's a new one. This I wanted secure. to watch that one, so I pressed it and watched it. <laughs> and you put medium Cool. All right. Well, I'm almost done with this, and I'll be in. You are probably can watch the new movie one. All right. We gotta figure it out. That was so cute. I love you, dude. <laughs> Uh, Is watching Octonauts? Yeah, <laughs> he loves Octonauts. Like it's all right. So the other person show, I would love like, to collaborate with, who has actually oh, worked with Josh Eustis, is Kennedy Ashlyn of uh, Them Are Us Two, and her solo project is Searsky. I saw her open for the Black Queen one of the times I saw them, and she just has one of the most incredible voices in the world, and she's super nice. And I just feel like working with her would be amazing. Nice, nice, nice. Um, so I know, uh, like, if you could uh, do a live show. Oh, um, well, in order like, to do a who, live show, who would, I would you want to open for? Myself five times, and one of me is more than enough. So I, I've I've thought about playing <laughs> live before, and I just I don't know enough 
musicians who live in Chicago who I would be able to teach all my songs, arrange them in a way that they would be able to play live. It would just, I mean, it would be a really complicated thing. There, I have some songs where there are six guitars, two basses, drums, three vocals, and, you know, like other stuff going on all at the same time. I, I think Fallow Hallowed off of Rituals in total throughout the 12 minute runtime of the song, there are 42 guitar tracks. And that's ridiculous. I mean, like when I was mixing that, I was just like, wow, wow I'm uh, really glad these aren't all happening at the same time. <laughs> but I, so if I could find a way to play live, I think I would really love to play. Oh, I would love to play with Emma Ruth Rundle, Thou, and The Body. I, I, th I think, yeah, I, I think that would be an amazing lineup. And yeah, that would be, that would be a good time. You know, you could also throw JJL and or Young Widows in there. The, the, the Thou just blows, Thou and yeah, The Body just uh, blow my mind the, in that music they put out that those two bands that they have. Yeah. yeah those two bands are two of my favorite bands in existence i have and it's always quality every single thing of both of theirs on vinyl that i've been able to get my hands on be because i just i love them so much awesome okay. yeah i just i don't know like you know how there's a lot of projects put stuff out but there's no one else i can think of this puts out that much music but none of it's bad like I, I haven't heard like a single song yeah. from other than the recent memory that I'd be like, oh, oh that yeah, sucks. Sure. Well, and and like, right. they're and they do charitable work too. I've interacted with Brian, Chip, and Lee various times on various social media platforms, and they're just like they're super sweet. You know, you wouldn't think that the two guys in the body would be like the That's nicest it. people ever, given the kind of music they make. And then you interact with them, and you're just like, oh, I want to give you a hug. <laughs> It's like um, George Fisher, uh, Corpse Grinder from Cannibal Corpse, is like <laughs> this goofy dad who plays like these kids and stuff, and is on World of Warcraft every weekend, and yeah, he's like just yeah, the goofiest, like, like you know, chillest dude, and he's releasing a Cannibal Corpse, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like people, music does not represent the person necessarily. It's, it's oh, art. Yeah, it's the I, same I as mean, like, like I'm sure you meet a lot of horror movie like, directors like, who aren't psychopaths. Very chill dude, and then. Uh... Why can't I remember his name? The guy who did Phantasm. Don Coscarelli. Yeah. Uh, oh, Don Coscarelli, um, another like super, like, super nice. It's like six guy. of those I, movies. Uh, I saw a double feature one time of John Dies at the End and Bubba Hotep, and he did like a QA between, and he was just like fun and goofy. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> Sorry, Brendan. Uh, back to you. No, 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 you're good. You're good. Um, what is your favorite well, instrument to play? Most of the time when I'm writing songs, I start with guitar. And I, I have guitars in various tunings. I have a Fender Jaguar that's like a baritone custom. But when I bought it, it was set up as a bass six, which is really weird. Um, and... At this point, I don't remember which album, other than The Great Disruption, that is the only guitar on that album. I have my old Fender Strat, which is the first electric guitar I got, 
and that has four strings on it tuned to CG, CG. And I used to play it with a cello bow because I was obsessed with Sigaros in high school. And then I've got a couple guitars that I keep in standard tuning. And I have a couple basses. But honestly, I, I think the most fun... Can you hear me? Oh, okay. I, I think the most fun that I have is when I'm yeah. playing drums. Mm -hmm. And especially since I started doing blast beat stuff. And, and, you know, you've heard it. I do black metal blast beats. I cannot do the blast beats where you're, like, doing the double kick at the same time or, like, you know, constantly using both your hands at the same time. I, I just, like, I feel like my limbs are going to fall off if I do that. But but the kind of blast beats that I do, I, I love kind of pushing myself. <laughs> I, I've been able to get up to 280 BPM with those. And DB might have me play some drums on upcoming The Sun Came Up Upon the Left material. And I was like, if you want to try to push me past that point, I will work on it for you. I've, you know, the fastest I've ever gone, I think, is 280. But I love... I love pushing myself with that, and it, it feels the most, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kinetic. I, I love that kinetic movement in music. In any of the bands that I've been in, it's always mm -hmm. been the most fun for me to be yeah. on drums. The The band I was in for the longest time, the Elizabeth Dane, which was with a few guys who I knew from doing storefront theater with them, I played drums in the band. And I also recorded, mixed, produced our stuff, but it was just so fun to just focus on playing drums. Nice. nice. Uh, who inspired you to get into music uh, besides yourself? Like, because you, you said you write a lot of music, you know, mostly geared for yourself. My but, dad. My dad uh, is a who, huge audiophile and he occasionally has questionable taste in music, but he also likes a lot of really good music. And I think I was seven <laughs> when he pulled out In the Court of the Crimson King on vinyl. And at the time, I was absolutely terrified of the album cover. Oh, yeah. But yeah. He, he put that on. He, you know, he actually put the record on. And I, my mind was just fucking blown. And I, King Crimson is still one of my favorite bands. I've seen them live like six mm -hmm. times. The, the most recent time being in the fall of 2019. Wow. And I, I, you know, I don't really play music like that. Yeah. But if you listen back through some of my stuff, you can hear little bits of influence in the song Always Drowning on my album Becoming there's a guitar riff in there that is very similar to Frame by Frame from Discipline, which is one of my favorite King Crimson songs. So I, I really owe it to my dad okay. for like really getting me into music. And, and it's funny because like, you know, when I was a really little kid, I either listened to what my parents did, which was unfortunately mostly Bob Marley or fortunately Joni Mitchell, and, you know, occasionally my dad would show me some really cool stuff. And then right. when I would hang out with my friend Jeremy, we would listen to almost nothing, but they might be giants. And then I got my first boom box when I was nine, I think. And my parents gave it to me with Flood by They Might Be Giants and Pisces' Carrot by The Smashing Pumpkins because I had heard their cover of Landslide on the radio and I loved it. 
And I, I think some of my other first few CDs were like the Blue Album by Weezer, Tragic Kingdom by No Doubt, and 16 Stone by Bush. <laughs> so, I, you know, I had some of my own moments of questionable taste, although I would say most of those albums are still pretty great. But yeah, I mean, it's also funny because before I moved out to the suburbs as a kid, when I lived in the city, the kids that I hung out with listened to B96, which I think still exists here as a radio station. But at the time, they played stuff that was like, you know, kind of club music. So like Be My Lover by LaBouche and Another Night, Another Dream by The Real McCoy, stuff like that, where it was usually like a woman singing the choruses and a guy really horribly rapping during the verses set to like a nice beat and some good sense. And honestly, I still love listening to that kind of music, especially like Saturday night. I look up music videos on YouTube, you know? <laughs> my, uh, my experience of getting into music was very similar to yours oh, as well nice. with my dad. Um, it was also prog rock as well, which uh, was Pink Floyd. Um, when I was a kid, I, I still have like some of my best memories um, from our childhood is still him putting on um, which album was it? Yeah. It was The Wall. I was going to say uh, um, my, uh, dad yeah. got me yeah. I, to, I, like, I totally Yolo understand what you mean about like that, that, that and stuff and then I was just like oh wow. Yeah we, we saw Steely Dan as a family when I was like I don't know I want to say 12 or something and it was such I a bet. fun show. I bet. My, my, uh, when I turned 18 my dad brought me to see uh, Jethro Tull my mom lived in San Francisco for a while in the oh, 70s, nice. and she dated one of their bass players for a while. One of the ones that died. Ooh. Yeah, I, I used to make a oh. joke that she was a witch and she oh. killed him. Um, wow. which, is, which is not true. I promise my mom did not kill the bass player. For <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> um, well, what, what's your uh, what's your guilty pleasure? Um, Bre Brendan, do you have any more? Or was that your your last one there? Ooh, you know it's interesting because I don't. I understand what the term guilty pleasure means, but for me, I don't really get embarrassed right, right. about stuff unless unless it's my dad making the same stupid joke over and over. Like every time you ask him to light the grill, he goes "grill of my dreams." <laughs> Cause my dad is a fucking dork, but you know, I love him. Uh, so for me, I, I would say I don't really have a guilty pleasure band, but I am such a sucker for like a good pop hook. So, I mean, Carly Rae Jepsen is incredible. I cannot listen to her album emotion without crying repeatedly throughout its runtime. It, something about it just like hits me really hard and it's weird to want to dance and be bawling your eyes out <laughs> at the same time but that's what her music does to me and you know i've also heard other great pop songs recently dua lipa is fantastic uh i finally heard wap the other day for the <laughs> first time and i was like oh this is actually really fun so you know there's there's a lot of great music <laughs> on there and i i feel like 
if you can just kind of yeah. let go and enjoy the music and not have to be like, oh, this is the deepest song in existence, it's it's really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually got really into uh, nice. uh, Megan Thee Stallion. Um, which right, I think she's right. fantastic. I love yeah. a lot of her music. Uh, she's from um, I mean, Wack, which is I the reference uh, why I brought it up. I actually yeah. really like <laughs> Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley. I think it's a good song. I mean, like, it's catchy as hell, it's fun, and it makes yeah. you want to dance. Great song. Very easily. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I actually... And it, uh, it gets stuck in your head, too. Like, a video of it on so Twitter, long after like, you hear it. Last night, I was just like, I was in a really good mood. I threw on a cute dress. I put on the Black Queen's second album, and I had a dance party by myself. And I just, like, it felt amazing. And, you know, I, I love that music allows us to express ourselves in so many different ways, whether I'm making it, or I'm listening to it, or I'm interacting with it like that. And... I really, I cannot wait until hopefully everyone is vaccinated and I don't want things to get back to normal, but I want things to be better so that we can go back out in the world. And I just want to like go to a bar and dance. I don't care about drinking. I, I, I just want to go dance with some friends. I just I miss yeah. you know there's a little things you took for granted like you go to a bar and there's a live band playing you say music while you're hanging out type thing like I miss right, that right. so or like, much you know, and something you didn't even think about they have a patio that it was a great thing and you had it playing. you know what I mean like, like, you can't just take it for granted like it, a violin even you know what I mean it doesn't matter like it's just something yeah. like it's it's nice like music is it's, it's important mm-hmm yeah, no, the last, me too. Oh, yeah. The, the, the last, last show I saw music was, I saw was February, February last year, which is like, that's so, so long ago. At Lincoln Hall here in Chicago, which is probably my favorite venue here. And uh, I mean, I'm really glad that A, two of my friends were there, so I got to be with them. Mm-hmm. And B, I, I cried through half that show because it was just so incredible. And uh, the the newest Telephone Tel Aviv album, if you haven't heard it, it is such a beautiful cinematic journey. You know, it's it's based on a recurring dream that Josh has had since he was a kid. And, oh, God, he he played all the songs from it live, not in order, but he played them all, and it was just phenomenal. So I'm I'm at least glad the last concert I saw was really good. I got to see uh, Ohm. That was oh, cool. Nice. Yeah, end of March. I still got my ticket. Stub. Yeah, that's awesome. Ooh, nice. I saw Obituary um, play Cause of Death in full. Which was, yeah, oh, that was we great. Didn't know. We didn't fucking know. And no one at the time, I'm sure, when we saw our last oh, concert, yeah. knew that it was going to be the last gig that I would see for, for a year, though. No. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, I'm going to have to head off soon. Um, so I just wanted to ask you, did you have anything you wanted to uh, so touch on before we left or anything you wanted to announce coming up or just tell people where to find your music type I've thing? I've put out a bunch of stuff on Trepanation in the last year. I also have some stuff that hasn't come out on Trepanation. 
you can also find me on streaming services. I'm pretty sure Dan has put up everything we've released together on YouTube and everything else I've done, I've put out through DistroKid. So I think it automatically goes to YouTube. If you want some fun podcasts to listen to, there's the Losers Club, which is a Stephen King podcast, which I occasionally edit. I'm the main editor of the Halloweenies podcast, which is a bunch of the same people who are people I know in real life. And then, uh, I'm just going to give a shout out to Horror Queers, which is my favorite podcast. Joe and Trace do amazing work. I absolutely love them. I love that they look at horror movies, which are one of my favorite things, through the lens of queerness. And they're so inclusive and they're so responsible about the way they talk about and handle things. And that makes me feel wonderful. Uh, like I said, Grief comes out April 2nd, which by the time this comes out will have already passed, but uh, please check it out. I'm really, really proud of it. I made some t-shirts that were designed by Unknown Relic and uh, logo by Sludgework. And we did those as like a limited edition thing along with the album and on cassette. Unfortunately, those are all sold out, but if there's enough interest, we might do a reprint of the shirts in the future. Uh, check out all the bands that I've mentioned, because there's some really great people making really great music, and a lot of them are queer and or trans, and I love supporting my people. I, I think it's amazing that there's so many of us, especially in the metal world, who are just like, giving a giant middle finger to the people who hate us and saying like, we belong in this space. You don't. Yeah. I can't think of anything else other than just to say mm -hmm. thank you to y'all for, you know, featuring my stuff and reviewing it and asking me on here. It's, it's really amazing to, like I said, know people like my music and want to support it and believe in it. It's it's really incredible. That's good. It's you know, I love music with emotion and stuff that's like real, you know. And uh, oh, you're welcome. It's uh, a big pleasure. About as real as you can get, right there. <laughs> well, uh, I'm sure you're going to have a number of yeah, releases definitely. over the next twelve months, so we'll probably have to have you back on again to discuss uh, some more music in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. And uh, thank you to everyone uh, who's been listening. Uh, we appreciate your time. Uh, we'll have someone on uh, taking a little bit of a break because uh, I'm out of the state, but we'll have some new guests coming uh, towards the end of the month. So keep your ears open. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, sure.